to have. Uh, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 19 in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19 this morning. Uh, we're going to finish chapter 19, go into chapter 20 as well. I'm going to begin in verse 27. It may kind of look like it's in the middle of a passage there, and in a sense it is, uh, yet at the same time, uh, it is beginning uh, something new there as well. Um, and, and I would really question, this is one of those places, there aren't many, but where I'd really question about the, the, the chapter break there. Uh, we could probably do without the chapter break in this case because uh, the two go together so well. Uh, one thing, you know, that's really easy to see you know, as we've been going through Matthew's gospel and we see uh, the Lord Jesus with his disciples before him. He's ministering to his disciples. And it's, it's, it's really easy to see if we just observe uh, his disciples. It's easy to see where their hearts are. Now, these were men who were weak at times. We see that clearly. Uh, they were of little faith at times. How many times did Jesus say, oh, you of little faith? And yet, uh, these were those who had chosen a path of leaving behind the idols of this world and instead, with great clarity, clinging on to and following uh, the Lord Jesus. That's what they did, and that's why they are called uh, disciples. Uh, just like we saw in the Heidelberg Catechism, that first question, uh, it's very clear in Scripture as, as well. That's what it comes out of especially in the gospel accounts, that this very simple definition of discipleship extends to all the followers of Jesus, all true followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. You could say that's what a believer is. That's what a Christian uh, really is. Uh, they are those who, although they do fail, and although they do sin terribly uh, at times, but they always return to Christ with hearts that are submitted to Him, wanting to obey Him, desiring to obey Him. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven here upon this earth, is to have that kind of a heart, a heart that's shaped uh, in that way, living lives that are submitted uh, to this King, to the King of Kings. And uh, as we know, uh, those who are, are that, disciples, they need help with this kind of living. Uh, it was true of the Twelve. It's true of us as well today. And today's passage helps us with that. Uh, you know, one of the greatest problems that Jesus' disciples of all kinds, all ages, face is pride. Would it be a great thing if when you came to faith in Christ, that at that point, that, this was one of those things that just faded away in the background, that pride is no more. And we can just continue to live our lives. Wouldn't that be great? It's, it's not the way things happen. That's not reality. No, pride remains. It may look differently at times, but it remains there. Uh, and with the nature of pride, one of the things that we know is it's very difficult to see it in ourselves. Far easier to see it in others. And therefore, we do need the community of faith. But at the same time, we need God's Word we need His Word to expose that pride uh, within us and to help us with dealing with uh, pride. Uh, and so that's, that, that's part of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now we're at a place in 
uh, in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus has just dealt with the problem of, of worldly wealth and how money can become uh, this major idol that stands in the way of salvation. Uh, and uh, he, he taught through this encounter with a rich young ruler. That's what we saw last week. Um, and Jesus has just made this statement to the disciples talking about, about this topic, money. And he, he said that it's impossible for man to overcome this barrier that stands there. But then he said, all things are possible with God. And what a great statement. What a wonderful uh, and helpful and encouraging statement. And so it's at, that, at this point, uh, verse 27, that Peter asks a question uh, of Jesus, uh, a question that Jesus then uses to teach his disciples and teach us about how very different life is in the kingdom of heaven than it is in this world. And so that's what we're going to look at now. Uh, he does it partly or largely through a parable uh, that's there in chapter 20. And so we'll see that as well. But we're going to begin with Peter's question there in, in verse 27. Uh, so verse 27, Matthew 19. Then Peter said in reply to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to him, or to them, to the disciples, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, those, or you who have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give 
to this last worker as I give to you? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Please join me as we look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for the confidence that we can have as we turn to this word that this is uh, what we need. And we thank you also, Lord, that uh, by your Holy Spirit that you open our eyes to see and to understand and, and to connect this not only with other places in Scripture, but to connect it with what we need in our lives in order to live in a right way uh, before you and in order to have the hope that is placed before us. And so we pray this morning that you will give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and help us to take this and, and truly apply it to ourselves, to understand it. And I pray that it will reveal in us that which it is intended to reveal. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever had a job in the past? And I know the younger ones here probably haven't had too many jobs, but maybe you've had something like this. But, but a job that had a, a, a lot of perks to it. There was a lot of value to the job, but in the end, you were really unhappy in that job. You know, I had a, a job a number of years ago, and I know as I say this, Amy knows what I'm, what I'm talking about, but one in which, to be honest, I was, I was miserable. It was a, it was a sales position. Uh, it paid really well. Uh, there are a lot of, lot of perks, company car and all that kind of stuff that came with it. Uh, and it was interesting work, something like I'd never done before. But once a month, we would travel uh, in the region of the country where we were. We were out close to California. And we, we'd travel and we'd all gather together, all the sales reps from that region. There were maybe uh, 12 or 15 of us. We'd gather around a table and the sales manager, uh, he, he, he had a chart and he'd go through that chart uh, in detail, and it had in black and white where we were with our, our sales, and he'd compare us one to the other. And that was the basis for, you know, for what we did. It was this comparison, uh, and if you were new at it, like I had been at one point, then uh, for the first few months, it wasn't all that bad. Uh, but after that, you were expected to Produce And it really didn't matter what kind of circumstances you were under in, in your territory or whatever it might be. It was all about the numbers that were there. And so it created this environment in which uh, everybody constantly thought about what they were producing in comparison to others. And there was this looking at others. And I happened to be in this one location with uh, a sales rep who was the top sales rep in, in this division in the entire company. It was only he and I in this, uh, this area, and so it was, it was a challenge uh, in a number of ways, uh, and, and at that time, I, I didn't know the Lord, and so there were other issues that were involved, uh, but just, just think about that situation, uh, this constant comparison to others. If you, were, if you were doing well, you'd be rewarded, and really even uh, exalted in a sense. You'd receive prestige, but if you weren't doing so well. Maybe it was just that month or maybe a longer uh, time period. But in a sense, you were looked down upon. 
and there was a sense of shame inside. You know, that, uh, that job that I had, you may know, is not all that different uh, from many jobs in, in, in the marketplace, uh, work environments. Think about the, the motivators that are there. There is competition. There's comparison with one another. These, these work. There's a central focus upon what you produce that really defines where you are, your value, your, your worth among the others. Uh, one in which the, the supervisor, the boss, and I, I had this uh, there, that although he or she may seem to care about the workers, really it's the bottom line. That's what's important. And so you're, the individual is valuable insofar as he or she contributes, produces, meets expectations. Uh, now, you may hear that and you may say, well, that's, that's just the world in which we live. And that, there's truth in that. Because that is how you get places, isn't it? That's how you get noticed. That's how you often become well-regarded by others. It's by producing. And it does involve using your gifts. It involves using talents, working hard. Uh, and as a result, you gain approval and, and, and honor. And it's, it's not that that's a, a bad thing. That, that's used quite a bit in the world in which we live. Uh, and we really can develop this mindset where we assume that that's just how things work. Well, keep that assumption in mind as, as we look at Peter's question in uh, chapter 19, verse 27. And, and, and remember, for those who were here last week, Remember, this was just after the rich young ruler came to, to Jesus with his question about eternal life, and, and he spoke to Jesus about how he's accomplished the law, all the law. Uh, but then Jesus makes that one statement, and he said, this is what you must do. He said, leave everything behind, all your possessions, and follow me. And if you're, you recall that rich young ruler. All the prestige that he had, everything else, because of his great possessions, he sorrowfully went away. Now that's, that's uh, right before this, in which, here's what Peter says. Peter says, in reply to Jesus, he says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What was Peter looking for? Was he looking to be recognized, maybe? To be patted on the, on the back? Uh, maybe to hear about, in comparison to the rich man, uh, who was unwilling to do this, to continue forward, to, to hear about those, the disciples who had done this. They had left everything. They had followed Jesus. Great sacrifice. Uh, many spiritual achievements. Was he looking to hear what they would receive uh, as a result of this? Now, it's true, some don't see it that way. They don't see in Peter's answer that there's, uh, they don't see pride there. And I, I can understand that. But either way, Jesus uses this, this statement or this question from Peter uh, through this parable in chapter 20 that he tells as an opportunity to warn against this kind of pride, this pride that I'm going to call spiritual pride, that which uh, in our lives, uh, when we, we belong 
to the Lord's community and, and we, we have His Word and we know His Word, but we're seeking to live uh, the, the life of a, of a Christian in a right way. And yet, as we mentioned earlier, pride continues. It doesn't end. And we can so easily take pride in that which we do and that which our families do uh, as well. You can see the temptation, can't you? You know, if you do well, if you excel in what you know to be right and good before the Lord's sacrificial living, uh, living virtuously, then you know, shouldn't there be a sense of, of recognition? And, and, and shouldn't we be commended for that? Now, that's how the things work in the world around us. So why not in the lives that we lead as followers of Christ? And naturally, the temptation is there. That's what uh, the heart of pride is to compare ourselves with others, our deeds and our sacrifices, the spirituality of our families. And you can go on and on with the list, but you get the idea. Making comparisons ourselves to others. Well, that's what Jesus in this passage and in this parable warns against. Now first, he encourages Peter in a marvelous Way and he he speaks about all he he answers Peter's question in a way at first and it seems it's all going to be encouragement about all that they would receive uh, and you can you can look and first he talks about the the twelve disciples themselves they have a a special place uh, and he talks as we see in other passages as well about how in some way uh, they will set up on 12 thrones, and they will be involved in, in the governing aspects and, and the judgment of people. And so look forward to that, Peter. But then he also says, uh, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, lands, for my sake, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold. And so he, he's saying to Peter, yes, there is great reward in following the Lord Jesus, and following Him. But, and you'll see that word at the beginning of verse 30, but, and He says, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, He's going to repeat that again right at the end of that parable. So this is an easy one. If you want to know what the main theme is for this parable, it's easy. It's right there, twice given to us. The first will be last, and the last will will be first. And as we go through, we can see many who are highly regarded by men and by women, those who pridefully set themselves up above others in this world, even though they may be first in that sense in this world, yet God looks upon the heart and they will find themselves last when it comes to the kingdom of God. And I, I think inherent in this is uh, that some, therefore, will be excluded from the kingdom of God as well because they're not true disciples. They're looking for that pride. But many others, uh, he, he's, he's uh, helping us to see this is something to watch out for. This is a warning here. And so beware. Yes, there will be great blessing. But at the same time, Watch out for this. And so uh, what Jesus is telling us is really it's how the kingdom of, of heaven operates differently 
in this regard than the world in which we live. You know, Peter had asked this question about the blessing that they would receive. And Jesus says a couple of things here about the blessing. He says, first of all, that God's blessing will flow out of His covenant love. First thing. And then secondly, that God's blessing is received on the basis of mercy. We just sang about it a few minutes ago. The basis of, of mercy. So, a couple of things we want to look at. God's blessing flows out of His covenant love. One thing that we're going to see in this parable is God's very evident love, His care, His compassion for every single one who is a disciple of His. For every single one who is a part of that uh, community of faith. Now, the world, it only loves you if you fit into this mold, if you meet certain criteria, and then you'll get the nod, you'll be accepted and brought in. But if you belong to the Lord and you belong to His kingdom, His love is set upon you, no matter what the, the world says, and not based upon the same things as the world looks for, because even the most undesirable in the world's eyes, the Lord calls His beloved. Now it's important, I think, to recognize at the outset as we look at this uh, parable, the time frame that's represented here. So if you look back at 28, these are the verses that kind of develop the reason for the parable. Look back at, uh, at verse 28. Uh, in, in response to Peter's question, when he said, uh, what then will we have? What will we receive? Jesus says to the disciples, truly I say to you, in the new world... Now, some of you may have translations that says that differently. It literally means in the regeneration or in the new age when Christ returns. Uh, and he goes on to say, in, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. So, he, he goes on from there to say, uh, you will receive certain things. But this is given the time, for, time frame. This is what the parable is looking forward to. He's talking about what, what disciples living today and how they need to live today in a certain way in light of what they will receive when Christ returns, when all things are renewed. And so that's the time frame that it's looking forward to. So hopefully you get the picture there. Uh, one more thing that we've always got to do with a parable. Uh, we've got to talk about what's, what is each item or entity mean in the parable. Just, there are just a couple here, really. Uh, number one, look at verse 20, or I'm chapter 20, verse 1. The master of the house. That one's easy. That's God. Uh, secondly, the laborers that are hired. These are clearly the disciples, God's disciples throughout, throughout the ages. And then finally, there is the vineyard that uh, the master of the house sends the workers into. What is the vineyard? The vineyard, as we see in many places in Scripture, uh, the vineyard is Israel. It's God's people. There are a number of places uh, where we, we see this illustration used of a vineyard. One of the, one of the places commonly looked to, Isaiah chapter 5, uh, just reading a few words from that. Uh, the Lord says, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. 
My beloved had, had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. Notice he's caring for it. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. He's talking about the fruit, but the vineyard that the Lord cares for. That's talking about uh, God's people. And so we can see today the vineyard stands there for his church, and that is his beloved. And so he loves his vineyard, and that's what he has these workers intent upon. And so now look at the, look at the parable itself in chapter 20. Uh, I will say up front, this, is, this parable is amazingly similar to what we, uh, our family, experienced years ago. And we used to live in San Diego, California, and you know, San Diego is very close to the, the border with Mexico. And I, on a regular basis, you could go out early in the morning, and there were certain designated locations, and you'd see maybe... 25, 30, 35 uh, migrant workers that were gathered there. And they were gathered early. And what would happen is exactly as we see here, that uh, there'd be somebody who has a lot of work to be done. It could be a contractor. Many cases, it was, it was someone with a large house and, and grounds. So we, were, we never did this, but uh, they would go there and they would uh, gather together a small group or larger of, of migrant workers, and they'd take them to their house, they'd work out a, a wage with them, and they would be there, and they would work throughout the day. And as you can imagine, that location where they stood, that would change over the day. Many would leave, and so be a smaller group there, but usually when you get to the later hours, those who are really desperate for money, uh, because it's almost the end of the day, they're not going to get much work uh, if anybody comes by, and, and therefore the pay is not going to be much, but you'd still find a few there uh, waiting. And, and that's exactly what we find with this parable. Because early in the morning, uh, the master of the, of the house went, and he got a group of, of laborers, uh, let's say 7 a.m., 6 a.m., uh, a group of laborers to work in his vineyard, and they went out uh, into the vineyard after negotiating the day's wage, one denarius. And then he goes back, goes back at 9 a.m. Uh, that's the, the third hour, it says. And he, he finds more and he gathers them and, and, and tells them, this time, whatever's right, I will pay you. And evidently they trust him because they went out as well into the vineyard. And then he goes back at, at noon. He goes back again at 3 p.m., does the exact same thing with more workers. And they all go into his vineyard. And then finally, he goes back at 5 p.m. Now, 6 p.m. for them was the end of the day. But the 11th hour, 5 p.m., he goes back and he gathers more workers. Uh, but he, he, he asks them, why are you still standing here idly? And, and they answer him and, and say, well, nobody's hired us. And so he says, come uh, and do work in my vineyard. And certainly by the time they got there, it was less than an hour that they were going to do work. Now, what's the point here? Uh, the, the, the point at the heart of this is that there were significant differences between when the, the, the workers were brought to work in the vineyard. And what we have to notice is how the master of the house treats each of them despite these vastly different times that they were brought to his estate. 
And there's something really strange here. Notice that the master of the house is not only interested in his vineyard, which he is, but he's not only interested in his vineyard, but he's also interested in caring for the unemployed. Fifth hour, I mean, uh, 5, 5 p.m., less than uh, about an hour left for them to work. And he gathers them, he brings them. After hearing from them, well, nobody else has hired us. But he cares for them. And then he, he brings them and, and doesn't negotiate a wage with them. He already knows what he's going to bestow upon them. You know, Jesus said, the last will be first. He sets his love upon those who are kind of the remainder, you might say, those who are humble in heart, those who are uh, often the, the unwanted, in a sense, the outcast of the world, those who have that humble heart. Think about, it's been a long time since we've done Matthew chapter 5. Uh, but Matthew chapter 5 is, is one place where we, we learn about this type of person. Listen to these words, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you notice the theme there? A true humility of heart, an absence, therefore, of pride, and we read back in uh, 1 Samuel those words, the, the difference with the Lord. Uh, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks upon the heart. Every single one who is brought into His kingdom, every single disciple is important. Not on the basis of what they've done, what they've accomplished, the gifts they have. Uh, and there's no place for pride in his kingdom. No room for looking around and, and comparing one with the other because the Lord has set his covenant love upon every single one, upon you and you and you, everyone. You know, these words, I think as we look at this passage, is going to be, they're going to be an encouragement to some and they're going to serve as a warning to others. Because the church can't look like the rest of the world. It's impossible. Uh, because this is completely different from the rest of the world. And the Lord's purpose behind it is really so that pride can't continue on. I'm going to read out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Right at the end of the chapter, Paul says, he's speaking to those in Corinth, he's speaking to disciples, if you will, despite all their problems they had there in Corinth. But he said, for, continue your, for, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And here's the purpose statement. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
Think about that. That's his intent. That all pride would be driven out. And therefore, what's left is that, that heart that we read about in the, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. He says, beware of spiritual pride. We should be those who, who truly have nothing to boast about. Because the Lord has set His covenant love upon us. Now let's see, let's see one more reason in this passage that we should be those who have nothing to boast about. Not only does God's blessing flow out of His covenant love, but also God's blessing is given on the basis of mercy. In other words, it doesn't come on the basis of our performance or because it's something that we have a right to, but it's wholly and purely coming from in a matter of His mercy. Uh, and that's what's shed upon us. Look back at the, at the parable down at verse 8. You know, when quitting time came in this parable for the workers, there's something very unexpected that happens. Verse 8, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And then it goes through this payment that was made for them. First notice those words, When evening came, so this is the end of the day for them. And it's what's being pictured. Remember back in, in chapter 19, verse 28, uh, this is the final day, that day Scripture talks about. The end of the age. It's that time when Christ returns. And we're given something unexpected here that the laborers will be given their wages beginning with the last up to the first. And so... Those who began working at, at 5 p.m., only an hour left to go before quitting time, they'd be paid their wages first. Why? Well, you say, well, because the Lord said it. He ordained it. But it's also got to be in order to drive home the meaning of Jesus' words to us, right? That the first will be last. The last will be first. Uh, it's completely different from this world, in which the first are first. Uh, you know, the most prestige, the most honor that you have, uh, you, you come first. They're the ones who have worked the hardest, right? They're the ones who have earned it, who have sacrificed the greatest, perhaps. But in God's kingdom, those who were first, doesn't say that they received special attention, despite the fact that they labored the hardest and the longest. That means that within the church, we shouldn't look at one another and, and, and sort of expect those who, are, who, who have the, the greatest sacrifice or uh, are in the position of uh, being uh, in front of people or those kinds of things, that they will be the ones to receive the greatest outward glory, uh, the greatest commendation uh, in the world that is to come. Uh, now, there is, as we look over church history, uh, we can see places in which the church has done this. Uh, and just very straightforwardly, Roman Catholicism, uh, saints, the, uh, when, when someone achieves enough merit in this world according to certain standards, then they achieve sainthood, and because of that, uh, their meritorious works, uh, they are seen as in the world to come being exalted. We don't find that in this passage. 
But even beyond that, there's, there's something else that's unexpected here. Uh, as those who are to go first into the vineyard, as they, you've got to imagine, this is, this is what the Lord was, was giving in this picture. They were watching the others as they were receiving their wages. And, and there were a number of different groups, and they'd receive their wage, and they'd receive their wage. And all along, they must have been thinking, well, ours is going to be a fair amount higher. But when it came to them, they received the exact same wage. And you know what their reaction was? This is down in verse 12 or 11. They grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And you can imagine that why they were, why they were saying that. But, but Jesus' point is, be careful. There's a difference here when it comes to this exaltation of people and the granting of rewards. Now, notice here in, in, in these, with these people uh, the nature of their discontentedness. Their concern wasn't so much with their own wage, was it? It was actually with the wages that the others had received. They were upset about what had been given to, to them, and so they are looking over at the others, and this is what we do with pride, isn't it? Uh, and, and seeing what they received and believing, well, we should be valued to a greater degree. Uh, Jesus is pointing out here that a disciple must not be measured and must not measure himself or herself on the basis of what they have done, the accomplishments, the sacrifices of themselves or others. Again, things are different in the kingdom of heaven. This worldly system of competition and comparison and being valued on the basis of, of what you've done, uh, none of it's present here. And again, we've got to ask the question, why? Because it's not about what you have done or what you will do or what you are doing or about the... The, the prestige that you have, the position that you have, it's about the master of the house. And it's about what he has done. Notice that, that in this parable, all the workers except for the very first ones received more than was a, a, agreed upon. And the point is not how much they received or how much more. It, it is that they received bountifully more than they could have ever expected. And the warning here is that if we, out of a spirit of pride, seek recognition and we seek honor in this world on the basis of the things that we do and on the basis of who we are, then that will be our reward. The first will be last and the last will be first. That's the danger that he's warning against. Failing to recognize that this is the way things work in the kingdom of heaven. It's completely different from this world, but, but, if we know the extent of God's mercy and grace toward us, then our reward, no matter what it is, will be far beyond whatever we could think or imagine. You'll see that back in, in verse 29, and it talks about the sacrifices that were made. And there's a sense in which those sacrifices are, are nothing. And you hear Paul say this, right? 
Those sacrifices are nothing compared with the, the, the glory that's gained and the great gift that is gained in knowing the Lord Jesus and in, in walking with Him here upon this earth and then being able to go and to see Him and be with Him in glory and to see Him face to face. And so he says, they will receive a hundredfold. And again, the matter is not the number. He's just saying an immense amount beyond what you could ever imagine and will inherit eternal life. Uh, you know, the, the basis for this, no matter what, uh, in, in all of our uh, lives, in, in all of salvation, whether it's at the very beginning or as we continue on and we're sanctified in this life, uh, the basis is the mercies of God and the grace of God. A little bit earlier, our assurance of pardon out of 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins and His body on the tree that we might... What that's saying is, apart from that, we could never continue forward. We would never be together with the Lord. We would never uh, walk in glory together with Him, nor on this earth be, be able to experience true peace. He Himself bore our sins and His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. And ultimately, that's the focal point, isn't it? that we have received mercy. And that's what happened with every one of the workers as they received their, uh, their wages. They worked, they labored different amounts of time in the, in the vineyard, and yet their reward was Christ Himself. Their reward was all that they would receive, the inheritance that they would receive as a result of the work of Christ and all that's been done for for them, And that's what we need to remember. That's what we need to, to take home. Because if we live our lives in that way, as those who are truly a recipient of God's grace, it'll make all the difference. Please join me in prayer. Father, we, we thank you this morning, even though uh, we live in this world. We live in a world in which and rightly so, we, we do business in, and we learn from, uh, and we engage with those in the world and in the businesses that we may be uh, a part of or have been a part of during our lives. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, we learn that which is, is, is in error when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. And thank you, Lord, that by your word you open our eyes to see how it is to live as those who are in the kingdom, as those who are without pride, and as those who are engaged in the work of the kingdom and in caring for the vineyard. And so we do pray this morning, Lord, that you'll help us to, to take that to heart and to be encouraged and at the same time to be warned and to be able to see in our own lives uh, where pride might manifest itself and therefore help us to walk with new obedience. Uh, we thank you and we look to you in Christ's name. Amen.